Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Clarissa. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I am so looking forward to hearing your story, but first start out by telling me a few things about yourself. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I am a mom of three amazing girls and we call ourselves, our family calls ourselves the glitter force and we go about doing good. Uh, There's glitter in everything from uh, my husband's beard all the way down to like the grout in our tile floor because it's just everywhere. So that's kind of Mm -hmm. how that name came along for us. I'm a sun baby. I love the sun and I like recharge, like I'm like solar panels. My husband will be like, all right, it's time for you to recharge and I'll go sit out in the sun for a while. And uh, I am a monthly survivor of premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Monthly survivor. You have to endure this still month after month. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's great to meet you. Thank you for that. And my husband says that I'm like a dog that needs to be walked. And so I'm more like, I just got to get out and walk around the block. And so, you know, he's like, we got to take you for a walk now. Yes, we do. (laughs) So I get the sun, the necessity of the sun is very important. So awesome. Awesome. Great to meet you. Okay. So take me back. Tell me what's happened to you and what you're doing now. Yeah, I would love to. So I grew up with a great family, very loving parents, when I was about 10 years old, when my body started developing, I started getting a massive anxiety, aggression, uh, depression, and my parents took me to a psychologist and psychologist, really interesting. Bipolar really wasn't used as a term back when I was uh, back in the early 90s, but like now it's you know highly used, but my doctor said she might have this new diagnosis called bipolar. And my parents said, "Ah." and my doctor also said like, but she doesn't have all the markers. Let's just watch it. Let's get her some uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe we can help. So uh, life goes on age 12, 13. um, I'm still struggling. uh, And it, it was kind of on and off. So it really did look like bipolar, kind of really high highs, really low lows. At that point, my parents, you know, they were doing the best they could. They just didn't have the modern tools that we have. And so I, I have um, dealt with this and had the hopes that after I was done developing, you know, growing into an adult, that these things would wear off. Like people just told me, oh, it's just hormones. You know, it's, you'll grow out of it and, and you'll become, you know, fully developed and maybe you're just extra sensitive and actually didn't stop. So I got married, had three kids and dealt with postpartum in all of my pregnancies, even my miscarriages, had crazy postpartum depression, but also this kind of these really high highs and really low lows and just never grew out of it. Were you on any kind of medication or did they medicate you back when you were a teenager to try to help you balance it? Yeah, I tried pretty much everything that was on the market. Uh, we even tried things like birth control, tried things like, I, I, as crazy as it sounds, like a monthly shopping trip to help my mood, like stay high, you know, like help a girl feel good type of things. And 
you know, there really wasn't very much science out there of like how our, how our diet affects our health and how exercise affects our health. You know, exercise was like step aerobics on, you know, in your free time. And that was kind of it type of thing. So a lot has changed since the 90s, which I'm super thankful for. But when I had um, when I had my children is more when I tried out antidepressants to try and help me and nothing seemed to just really click. Coming back to having my third baby, I had her on the 11th of November. So she's my 11-11. And uh, on Black Friday, so about two weeks later, I woke up and I knew that this, this darkness had hit me again. And it was really bad. I was packing my bags to leave my family because I truly and honestly believed that my family would be better off without me. Like the I was just the problem. You know, I was causing all of the havoc. And, and if I would just leave, that their lives would be better than me causing these problems. And my husband being my godsend, <laughs> he's kind of the sugar to my lemonade. He said, this is, this is not right. This is not okay. Let's, let's get you some help. So we actually called my original psychologist <laughs> and he had since retired, but he referred me to his understudy who was now head of his department. And um, I have had him as a therapist now for, let's see, my baby will be nine this year. So almost nine years. And he started helping me, giving me some tools. You know, we started trying to pull apart what was going on. And by this point, I was about 29 years old, so it had been 19 years, and there was one night that I was experiencing these symptoms, and I had massive insomnia, and I was down on my computer researching all of my symptoms, and I could not figure out what was going on, and I always had felt like a relief when my menstrual cycle started. I always felt kind of like this like breath of fresh air. And I thought that was interesting because most women feel stressed when their cycle starts because they don't like the symptoms that come with their cycle. But I always yeah. felt like this reprieve. And so I kind of started putting two and two together and I started, you know, just researching. Google was my best friend and actually came across a forum of ladies talking about something called PMDD. So I started diving into the research and sure enough, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, I ticked off every single box. It wasn't like five out of 10. It was like every single box and, you know, just very severely fit that mold. So I took this information to my psychologist and I said, hey, what do you think about this? And he said, oh, that's something that was just barely put in the DSM-5. And sure enough, we pulled up PMDD and I ticked all those boxes and had this label for what I was going to be dealing with. Uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder is an abnormal reaction to normal changing hormones. So it doesn't matter that my hormones are normal levels for, you know, general population. It's kind of like my body's allergic to the shifting. And I get severe symptoms. I, you know, talked a little bit about the mental health side. So depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, a belief that life would be better off. You know, people would be better off without me, that I don't have anything to contribute. All the way into physical symptoms of like brain fog, clumsiness, like my reaction time is really slow. So 
driving is actually something that I try and shy away from during the times that I do have PMDD symptoms, uh, insomnia, leg cramps, bad periods. I mean, you name it, like across the board, it's like all the bad things. And so I get these symptoms about 10 to 15 days every month. And they peak. So like they gradually, they gradually increase and then they peak for about three days and then they, you know, tank down and that's when my period starts. So yes, I was having reprieve, like this breathing moment, like I'm always so thankful when my period starts because I know that I'm done with PMDD. It's such a new diagnosis. There's not an unknown reason why it happens to women and there's not a cure yet. Some SSRIs tend to help a little bit, but they show that placebos, you know, give the same results. And so it's truly just finding the tools to survive every month. Since I was 29, so that was, you know, I said about eight years ago, I um, dove into the research on PMDD and have come across a lot of things that I'm capable of in exercise and health and you know, just the things I can't do, the things I'm in control of, since I can't control my PMDD. And uh, I actually became a personal trainer. And then that went into nutrition and being a nutrition coach. And now I'm a behavioral health coach that actually coaches women on their hormones. So I share uh, all the knowledge that I've been given with women who actually need it. And um, it used to be that one in 20 women were diagnosed with PMDD. And that was just when I was first diagnosed. And now it's one in 10. Uh, But 60% of women have severe PMS or PMDD or PME, which is where you have like a pre-existing condition like uh, bipolar disorder or um, it could even be like OCD. And it just gets worse as your hormones shift in a normal female cycle. And so 60% of 50% of our population is probably uneducated, you know, just in my experience, just a lack of knowledge on our, our beautiful bodies and what our bodies have to offer the world. So I go around and I teach about all the latest science and I have clients from across the world that I meet with virtually to discuss PMDD and hormones and teach on hormones. Wow. Who knew, right? When something is plaguing you your whole life that you could turn it into a career. Yeah. Um, When I was about 27 years old, I was a florist and I closed my business, felt very, very strongly to close a very successful floral business and try something else. And I was struggling with that because my identity had been in this beautiful art form that I love to this day. And I was laying in bed crying and my husband said, okay, Clarissa, like, what do you want to do next? Like, you can do anything you want to. What do you want to do? Do you want to go back to school? Do you want to work for me and work, you know, work with me in my job? And, And I said, Dan, I just want to teach women. I said, I don't care what I teach them. I don't care if I'm teaching them floral classes or if I'm teaching them how to stack stone. My husband works with stone, with landscaping products. And I said, but I just want to teach women. I want to empower women. And little did I know that the thing that I was trying to hide my whole entire life, the shame around 
feeling like I was so broken, feeling like I was so crazy that that would become what I was teaching. You know, I love how you said you felt broken and that was something that was, you were hiding, you know, because we do, we tend to think we're the only one. And especially in your case, you would really think you're the only one. And even doctors don't know what's wrong with you. And they're yeah. trying to figure out it's got to be really depressing and overwhelming. And then you can't figure out the cycle of it and why you're fine one day and not the next day. And it would have been so easy for you to just give up. <laughs> there have been multiple experiences of mine where I have, I remember as a teenager, uh, planning to end my life multiple times, writing it all down, trying to figure out if it would be better how to disappear versus ending my life. Um, and, you know, then as a mom, that's really difficult to have those thoughts. I've come through PMDD so many times to understand sometimes like, okay, if I just, just one more day, like I can kind of like lie to myself and just be like, okay, just take it one more day. Let's just give you one more day. And you can, you can plan that tomorrow. Hold on to the knowledge that I have come out of this. Like there is, there is usually hope <laughs> after those 10 days are over that I'll be okay. And that, that thing, you know, the fog lifts from my eyes. You mentioned about doctors. It takes a, an average patient, an average PMDD diagnosis, 12 doctors in six years. There is a there is a huge lack of understanding and knowledge in that area, um, especially because PMDD can look like so many other things, you know, just like bipolar, just like uh, depression, anxiety, you know, maybe just postpartum depression and aging bodies as well. Right. Like as, as females age, hormone production becomes low quality as well as not enough. It can look like a lot of different things. Um, they are showing that most women have experienced, who have been diagnosed with PMDD, have experienced some sort of trauma in their early lives. So whether it's child or teenager, some sort of uh, big T trauma. Um, I'm an exception to that. I don't have any sort of uh, big T trauma, and I'm thankful for that because I could only imagine that I wouldn't be a survivor at that point. <laughs> and I have a lot of empathy for the women who have been through uh, any sort of trauma in their lives that then they experience these symptoms. Part of me that I would just wish there was a pill or something that you could take that would make it all equal. You know, I'm just like, just even you out so you don't have those highs and lows anymore. And so I just, I love the way you've learned how to navigate that. You know, it's coming and you're prepared for it now. And now you know, and that's the that's the power of it is before the overwhelming and the hopelessness of not even knowing why you're going through what you're going through and what's happening to you. And now to kind of have that knowledge and be able to prepare for it and know that you're in this slump and you just got to get through yeah. to tomorrow. Yeah. Um, having that label, you know, a lot of the times, like I'm grateful I didn't have that label as a as a teen. Um, but as an adult, I'm grateful now because I can look back and say, okay, yes, yes. But I was more prepared to use that label in a very uh, accountable way mm -hmm. instead of a victimized way versus I think if I were younger, I would have definitely latched onto that and, you know, as a victim because it is such a, a traumatic experience in, in its own right. I wrote down just this past cycle 
some of my thoughts is that I was experiencing PMDD. And I just said, this is like, this is betrayal of my own body. It usually betrayal happens by somebody else, right? Somebody harms us in some sort of way, or we are offended. You know, there's something traumatic outside of us. The trauma happens within my own body. And I think that's been the hardest thing to come to grips with is, uh, and I still am learning that, you know, I'm not my body, but I am at the same time I am, you know, I reside in this. So how do I effectively use tools, practice tools on the good days so that I'm ready on those bad days? So PMDD is a constant, like I can't ever stop. I have to, I have to work hard all the time to make sure that I'm still here for my family. You know, I always dreamed of having a happily ever after. Uh, you know, when people told me once I developed, I would settle down or these things would go away. When I realized, and it wasn't until, you know, I was, I even had a diagnosis and it had been, you know, it's only been that like the past three or four years that I have realized that there's probably not a happy ever, happily ever after for me. And in fact, I call it the happily never after. Um, because I like to make the good moments as good as I can now and live truly in the present just because, um, just because I don't have that hope for later. However, I also have learned that if I want to receive a miracle, so if someday there is a cure for PMDD that I need to be doing all that I can to be ready for that and knowledgeable enough to handle that miracle cure that I am waiting for and looking forward to someday. Um, I also would love to say that I fly and excel through my hard days and I really don't. Um, this past month's cycle was very, very heavy. I competed in Mrs. Utah, America in March. I took first runner up and coming off of that, there's, there's a lot of energy that's put into the pageant itself. There's a lot of times you're just holding your breath and anticipation and you work so hard. And I, you know, I worked all year for that moment and I did great. Even being happy, I still experienced the, the wall of, you know, it's like rolling, getting off a roller coaster, like the, the endorphins die off and we're kind of left in that very vulnerable state. And then I had PMDD placed in that very low, low from coming off the event. So already I was feeling low and then I had PMDD on top of it. And so this past month was extremely rough. I couldn't get my podcast out. I couldn't connect with my clients very well. And I'm very open saying like, hey, you know, but in those dark moments, like they can be very destructive. And I, I do feel like I'm going to spend my lifetime picking up the pieces of, of PMDD, you know, of the destruction of those times when I come out and I go, oh, okay, I got to pick it back up, gear back up, do it again, look at what I can do better, you know, take things to my doctors. Um, getting a really good team has been phenomenal for me, you know, finding a doctor that would listen to me, having psychologists that would actually work with my primary care doctor um, has been, you know, I can't, I can't say enough about having a team, uh, whether that's friends and families or colleagues or, you know, that can really help a female who might be experiencing these things. 
coming out of that and having to pick up those pieces, there is always a lot of shame with that. And I, you know, I experience that every single month. And so I can, I can say that like, I know what that darkness is like <laughs> and it is dark and it's so dark, but I truly am grateful for what PMDD has brought me. And that's community. That is this, this overwhelming desire to share with women about their bodies and how cool they are. If they're working properly, if they're not working properly, like there are always things that we can do to better ourselves and, and be a force for good there. So is there something, a family, you know, loved ones, spouse, is there anything, I mean, they can prepare for this cycle as well, but is there anything they can do or need to know to be able to help you through it a little better? Yeah. So education is really important. Um, educating yourself as much as possible. However, as the person who is diagnosed with PMDD, it is my responsibility to let other people know that I am don't have the capacity to take on what I normally do when I'm experiencing PMDD or like, like I'll tell my girls, Hey, it's my low week this week. You guys got to be on top of your jobs. Cause I really don't want to, you know, have a bad week and, you know, I, I, I'll need your help. However, then, you know, I can't expect them. Like I can't have any ex expectations there for me to them, but it truly does help when they're, they are educated where they know, okay, mom's going to come out of this. This isn't forever you know, or my husband will say like, okay, I know you're extra, extra sensitive to sound right now. I'll sleep, I'll sleep in the guest room for a couple nights. So you can just get some good sleep. Cause I know that's really important to you, but that's taken a lot of communication from me during the good days to say like, okay, last time when I had PMDD, this was really ineffective or this really helped. Also any sort of support messages, text messages, thought, you know, posting notes with thoughts on it or any sort of memento to know that somebody's thinking of you without the expectation of them getting back to you is really important for somebody who's going through any sort of overwhelming depression and anxiety. When too many people come at you with the expectation of return of conversation or return text, that can be that can shut somebody down. Um, when they're panicking or when they're experiencing some sort of uh, traumatic experience that they're still in the middle of. So um, just in understanding that we don't have to right away uh, have something in return in acknowledgement, like as the person reaching out is actually really important in a lot of areas of that. But I think that, I think that there are and I've learned that there are better places to share your experiences or share what you're going through than, you know, public places. I definitely have learned that. So I have more of like a private, like a podcast that people can listen to if they want to learn more or uh, educate themselves on that and get more uh, maybe personal experiences. But like more on the public social media side, I, you know, keep it a little more vague. I've learned that people are really good with mental health until they really have to deal with it uh, as a caretaker or, at, you know, the people we panic. We get so nervous about people's uh, desire to live and survive 
when most people who are experiencing any sort of uh, suicidal ideation or planning on that, they're hurting and they need to almost be treated like, okay, I see that angry cat in the corner. If I go hug it, it's going to bite me. You know, we need to be thoughtful in how we respond and not necessarily panic. And I hate to consider myself as like that scared animal in the corner, but sometimes it can feel like that okay. word. I, you know, I, I just don't know what to do besides pull in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you just suggest to people like, let it be okay when people have to pull in a little bit and not take wow. it personally or like, oh, they don't trust me. They don't want to be open with me. They don't want to tell me what's going on. It's like, you know what? They're in a place right now that they're just not physically and mentally able to. And we need to be giving them grace and support and understanding and not make it about us, <laughs> not make it about the person reaching out. So that's great. Yeah, advice. absolutely. You know, as a mother of girls, when my girls are having hard times, I'll say, okay, where are you at in your cycle? <laughs> uh -huh. Like tracking your cycle is really important for a female because there are four different phases in a female cycle that each bring a different characteristic to a, a, a female. Depending on where my daughters are at in their cycle, or where I'm at in my cycle, I'll handle certain situations totally different. And again, that education alone, you know, not even just PMDD education, but just education on female cycles, like the menstrual cycles all month. It's not seven days. It's all the time. We, I call them superpowers. What are the superpowers that each phase of our cycle brings? And so as I talk to my girls, if they're feeling, you know, like my daughter yesterday, just yesterday was feeling very self-conscious about what she wore to school. And she said, remind me, she texted me remind me never to wear this outfit again. And I said, okay, do you want me to be your coach or your mom or just listen? Number one. And then later I said, when we were talking after she got home from school, I said, where are you at in your cycle? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm going to start my period in the next week. And I said, you realize you're more sensitive to what others think of you in, in the phase that you're at right now. And she said, oh yeah. Okay. So maybe I can try wearing this again in a different part of my cycle. And I said, yeah, let's try that. And then if you feel uncomfortable, sure. But I think you'll handle it a lot better in a different part of your cycle. So men are a lot like the sun. They go up, they go down, right? Like their hormone cycle is just like the sun. It's called the circadian rhythm. The female cycle is like the moon. We, we use the sun, but we also have different phases. So uh, the moon's gonna be in a different place in a different phase in the sky every single day, it's going to be different. And that's what female bodies are like. I'm not going to be the same tomorrow that I am today. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't even think about that to compare it to the moon. And I think everybody can get that and be like, oh, I can get behind that idea and understand it better. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. This is, this has been such a treat to meet you and hear about what you are enduring and how you're serving others because of what your knowledge, what you're learning. And I'm just so proud of you. I appreciate this so much. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you all the best with this and keep doing it. Keep fighting for this. <laughs> yep. Yep. So for those, you know, of your listeners who don't have that happily ever after who have a condition that they are still dealing with, you know, it's not a past talk. It's a very present experience. Like, hang in there. There's a lot we can do to still live a very full life. Yeah. 
and this is really hard to do when you said like your own body is against you. Like that's got to just be overwhelming. And I just appreciate your voice and what you're doing to try to help others to not feel that overwhelm and hopelessness as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. I was on a podcast in January and it was with three men and they thought we were going to talk about the pageant and we ended up getting into hormones. And it was really interesting. Afterwards, I got a text from one of them and he said, I think this is what my wife has. Would you talk to her? And then I got a text from another one of the men who said, you know, my aunt, when, when we were growing up, my aunt just really struggled. And there were times where we were not allowed to go over to her house. And he said, I wonder if this is what she had. Mm-hmm. So it was just so cool to watch even men, like people are fascinated when they start learning about this. Cause it makes everything <laughs> make sense again. It's like, Oh, you're not this crazy psycho woman. You know, you're like, oh, you're just going through these phases and I can be patient and understanding and accepting of that. To be softer too. And to not have the expectation that we're going to, our bodies are going to react as if a male's body were to react, right? Right. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.